Hi friends, I'm super excited to be talking to you today about the new IRS revenue ruling 2023-14. It's about how staking rewards are being taxed. I think in today's episode, I'm going to really unpack a whole slew of issues. If you are new to this topic, I'm going to explain it in detail. If you are aware of the issues with this topic, I think I'm going to take it to a level of depth that uh, help you understand uh, the complexity that the IRS has stepped into, the marsh that they are now wading through. Bottom line, I think this represents by the IRS yet another reflected piece of guidance that they have issued. They failed to understand the complexity of the situation. They shoot themselves in the foot every time they state any sort of guidance, and this is just another example of it. Welcome to the Clinton Donnelly Show, where we explore how taxation and regulations of cryptocurrencies affect your daily life as an investor. Clinton has a law degree in international financial regulation. He is an enrolled agent and certified as a cryptocurrency anti-financial crime specialist. He has clients in 71 countries. He is one of the top experts in crypto taxation in the US. This show is sponsored by CryptoTaxAudit.com, the income tax experts for U.S. crypto investors. Are you frustrated with using online crypto tax services to calculate capital gains? Are you a high-frequency trader, DeFi, NFT, play-to-earn, or quail investor? Nothing is too complicated for the experts at CryptoTaxAudit.com. Are you frustrated that your accountant doesn't understand crypto taxes? Crypto Tax Audit uses a proven, bulletproof crypto tax return methodology to prepare a tax return that doesn't attract the attention of the IRS. Crypto Tax Audit also offers an exclusive audit defense membership service. It's like car insurance for your tax return. If your return gets selected for an audit of crypto reporting, they will defend you at no additional charge for the entire life of the audit. No one offers anything like audit defense membership. Go to CryptoTaxAudit.com to learn more and schedule a private tax consultation now. The opinions expressed in this show are not legal advice. Tax and regulations are complicated. Your situation is unique, so you should always consult a tax professional. All right, so let's get right into it. If you want to see the text of this revenue ruling, go onto your browser, type IRS ruling 2023-14. Probably the first thing that comes up from the IRS will be this revenue ruling. It doesn't have the, the revenue ruling in the title, but that's probably what you'll be looking at. First of all, I'm really surprised. The IRS issued this revenue ruling at this point in time, there's an active court case going to the heart of this issue at the appellate level. You know, so I'm really surprised. Secondly, you know, what is this? Is this the IRS starting some sort of regulation by enforcement a la Gary Gensler? It raises a lot of questions. Here's what we're going to dig into today's show. I'm going to talk about what 
is a revenue ruling. Secondly, we're going to talk about the two issues with this revenue ruling, I think problematic issues. First of all, is the revenue derived or is it created? The second issue there is when is the revenue constructively received? These are two legal issues. We're also going to talk about some real pragmatic or practical issues that the IRS is going to have to confront when they try to enforce this. I think it represents a certain element of unenforceability. Then I'm going to talk about the Josh Jarrett court case. This is the Tezo staking case that you may have heard of. This revenue ruling immediately affects it. I have insight on that. I'm going to share it to you. You're hearing it here first. And I'm also going to give you what I think is the real reason why this revenue ruling has been issued at this time. And I think it's not what you expect. Finally, let me give you my thoughts to you as taxpayers in terms of what you should do to report staking rewards going forward and how to handle past staking rewards. So I think it's going to be an interesting show. I think you'll enjoy it. Please, it's very important to me if you would like this and subscribe to our channel. And if it's enjoyable, it means a lot to me if you give us that uh, thumbs up, if you will. Let's first of all look at the two primary ways that staking rewards have been reported on tax returns. The first one is to tax upon receipt. And the second one is tax upon sale. Tax upon receipt says staking rewards are treated as income right away at the fair market value in U.S. dollars on the date that you receive them. And that also establishes the cost basis for those tokens. And then when you later sell them, you experience a capital gain or loss based on that cost basis, and you pay the capital gains rate on that. Secondly, the other approach is tax upon sale. Tax upon sale says it's not income when it's received. I'm receiving it, and I'm going to treat it as a value of $0 cost basis. When I later do sell it, it will be 100% gain, and I will pay taxes at the capital gains rate at the time I sell it. So those are the two general approaches. Clearly, most people would rather not treat the coins as income upon receive because uh, oftentimes the value of coins go down and you don't want to experience a loss. And they also feel like, hey, yeah, I've received these coins, but I really haven't received income because uh, there's no money in my bank kind of feeling. So a lot of people feel better about the tax on sale because you're only paying tax when you actually experience income when it's being sold. I think this is going to be an interesting topic when we dig into the legal aspects of this. Now, first question we're looking at is what is a revenue ruling? Well, it sounds big, doesn't it? It sounds scary. And I think the underlying question is how authoritative is this in terms of how I report my tax returns? Am I in trouble? All right. So there is a hierarchy of authority in tax law. The highest authority is the law itself, which is written by Congress. Next, underneath that are the tax regulations. These are written by the IRS. There's public comment and there's a final reflection and then it's adopted. These things don't change very often. So it's really formal regulations which represent a explanation of anything in the law that was not you know, immediately obvious. Underneath that are a whole set of other issues that people run into in terms of how to apply the regulations in the law into their tax lives. And the IRS gives guidance in this area. They give guidance in uh, four different ways. One is called a revenue ruling, a revenue procedure, 
a notice and also an announcement. So those four are general public pronouncements from the IRS on how they're going to do things. They're binding on the IRS. And it also lays out how the IRS will treat the issue if it goes under audit. So this is basically IRS's opinion. It's how they choose to interpret the law, how they're going to apply the law. But to be sure, it is not to the same level of authority as the law itself or the regulations. In other words, it's just their opinion. Now, it's the government's opinion. It's a pretty formidable enemy. You can dispute that, but you realize if audited, you'll probably end up having to go to tax court. Well, what does that mean? When you go to tax court, we actually get a judge involved, a judge who's actually going to think about the law, think about the regulations, and the IRS's position, whether it's accurate or not in, in your case. So as we say, when you go to tax court, you finally get the adult in the room. All right. In this revenue ruling, 2023-14, first of all, it talks about proof of stake not proof of work or any other consensus algorithms. That's very important. However, it's principial in that they would probably apply the same technique to other consensus algorithms. So just to be aware, there was two issues in this revenue ruling. The two issues that I think that it struggles and doesn't adequately answer. And the first one, and this is the heart of the, the Jarrett Tezo staking case is are staking rewards derived from some sort of source or are they created? And then secondly, when is it that I actually receive them? We're taxed on income when we actually receive something or when we constructively receive something. So we're going to look at what that means, all right? Now, the IRS, in their revenue ruling, cites two authorities. That is, two pieces of law that they feel substantiates their position. The first one is the IRS regulation 1.61-1. And this basically lays out the definition of gross income. In this section, it says gross income means, and I'm, I'm quoting here, gross income means all income from whatever source derived unless excluded by law. All right, that's a regulation say. The law also says effectively the same thing. So this is the word from whatever source derived. I will dig into that, all right? The second authority they cite is a U.S. Supreme Court case, and the Supreme Court is the final arbiter of how the law is interpreted, and in reference to a particular court case called the Glenn Shaw Glass case. And here, the Supreme Court judge, the Chief Justice, writes, here we have an instance of undeniable ascension to wealth, clearly realized, and over which the taxpayers have complete dominion. That's the statement that he makes. The IRS loves to quote this statement. So we're going to dig into that. It sounds very ominous, but we're going to unpack that. So let's look a little deeper. The regulation uh, 1.61-1 states gross income means all income from whatever source derived unless excluded by law. Of course, they didn't mention the unless excluded by law part in their revenue ruling. So the issue here is, are staking rewards derived from a source or are they created goods? So, for example, if I have a six-pack of beer and I sell it to you and I get money, I immediately have income, all right? That's when it happens. That's, that income was derived from a source. Or if I'm working and some, my employer pays me, that wages are derived from a source, the employer. 
Okay, so that's where we get this idea, and it's a pretty good definition for most types of income. But what about things that are created? What, what does that mean, created? Let's break it down. Now, in the Tezos case, this is the example they like to use. They say, consider a baker. He buys flour, water, ingredients. He makes a loaf of bread. Is he taxed when that loaf of bread comes out of the oven? Or is he taxed as income when he later sells it to a client? It's been created when it comes out of the oven, but it's not income to him until he sells it. That's the heart of the issue. Now, consider this one. Ford Motor Company buys metal, buys parts, puts a lot of labor into it, and out comes a pickup truck. Now, is it income when that pickup truck rolls off the final assembly line? Have they experienced income at that moment? No, not until they actually sell that car to a dealer or, or, or a customer. And in fact, the law understands this. Uh, we mentioned the original quote was 1.61-1. We're now talking about dash three. I'm quoting the regulations in a manufacturing, merchandising, or mining business. Gross income means the total sales less the cost of goods sales. Now, the point here is it's the total sales. So when you're manufacturing Ford Motor Company, income means what you sold, not what you manufactured. A bakery is also a manufacturer. They take goods and they manufacture loaves of bread. So it would be gross income when it is sold, according to this particular regulation. Now, how about another example on this drive versus created issue? Consider an artist. An artist buys a canvas, buys paints, and then the artist introduces their own labor and creates a piece of art. Are they taxed at that moment? No, no, it's when it's sold. How about a farmer? That's an interesting one. A farmer has a female cow and a male cow and they do what mixed-gender cows do, and later, a female cow gives birth to a baby cow. Now, think of this cow as a, a cryptocurrency protocol, all right? When is the baby cow taxable as income? Now, it turns out that in the law, talks about farmers in section 1.61-4, it says gross income for the farmer includes the sale of livestock and produce which he raised. When is it taxed? When it's sold, right? The sale which he raised. That means when the baby cow was born, it was not taxed at that moment. It was taxed when it's sold. You get the picture here. So the question is, where does a staking reward come from? Now, the word reward is problematic because we generally see reward as something I get from a source, someone else. So it's a problematic word in legal papers. We would probably never use the word reward, but for the purpose of this podcast, you know what I'm talking about. Generally, the way the protocol is written is that the rewards are a part of what you bought when you bought those coins. So you bought the coins, you bought the protocol that supports those coins, and that protocol generates new coins to support the growth of the coin and the operation, the consensus algorithms, et cetera. So, but that's all a part of it. You bought into that. That's a subtlety and the courts will have to think that through. What do you think? Is a reward a created thing or is it derived from some source? So that's an interesting topic.
The second authority that the IRS quoted was the U.S. Supreme Court case in Glenn Shaw Glass case. Now, uh, let's tear this down. And I think it's important. Some people just see that reference that they quote and just think it's just so over the top. It's intimidating. Let's break it down. A court ruling generally is focused specifically on a particular court case. Sometimes they will make a broader statement that they anticipate be more broadly applied. Is this one of those statements? Now, in the Glenshaw Glass case, Glenshaw Glass won an antitrust award against a company called the Hartford Empire Company, and it won $800,000 in exemplary damages. Now, under U.S. tax law, awards for compensation for damages are not taxable, but awards for punitive damages are taxable. Now, this was exemplary damages, which in the law of that state represents a combination of both compensatory and punitive awards. So what Glenshaw Glass did was they treated, ah, it's all compensatory. We're not going to pay taxes on any of it. We're not going to report any of it as income. Well, the IRS disputed that, and the issue was, do they have to pay taxes on the portion of that exemplary award, which would be considered a punitive portion of it, which in this case happened to be roughly a third of it. So in the Supreme Court ruled that the portion of the award that was punitive was taxable. And the IRS quotes the judge in this case, and, he, and the judge in, in addressing this very issue, he says, here we have instances of undeniable ascensions to wealth clearly realized and over which the taxpayers have complete dominion. So uh, this touches on a whole slew of things. First of all, ascension. What does the word ascension mean? It means something added. Okay. So undeniable ascension to wealth, that there's an increase in the person's wealth. Now, th this is a problematic phrase in my opinion, because the IRS would want you to think that all ascensions to wealth are taxable. Now, I think that's problematic because it implies that the court considers all ascensions to wealth as taxable income. In my opinion, this is a colorful expression, but is not a technical expression. Look at this. Glenshaw Glass clearly recognized $800,000, but with staking, it depends upon the protocol. The rewards often are not clearly realized. This is the issue. The phrase undeniable ascension to wealth was not written to mean what the IRS wants you to think it means. The IRS is conflating the word income and wealth. Now, this is not to justify that there's a wealth tax. Look at this. When the Ford Motor Company adds labor, raw materials to create a car that has greater value than the parts, the new car is an asset to Ford as inventory. It is an increase to wealth, but it's not income. In our example, the baby cow, as it grows larger, it increases in value and in wealth through the farmer, but it is not income. If you receive an inheritance, it is an increase to wealth, but it is not income. So the statement that we see here, an undeniable ascension to wealth, is a artistic overstatement uh, to the situation. In summary on this point, this revenue ruling has failed to really address the issue of is our staking rewards 
derived from a source or are they created? And there are clearly positions in the law which the IRS has not referenced, and the IRS has not addressed this issue, and this is the heart of the issue. So it's very useless in terms of really providing real guidance to us in the crypto community. Let's look at the second issue, which is that when is the income constructively received? We are supposed to report as income, income that we actually received and income that we constructively received. Now, I'm going to really dig into the law so you understand what that means. What is constructive receipt? In, in Regulation 1.451-1 and 2, it states gains, profits, and income are to be included in gross income for the taxable year in which they actually or are constructively received by the taxpayer. There you have it, constructively received. What does that mean? Well, it continues in uh, section two. It says, the general rule is that income, although not actually reduced to a taxpayer's possession, is constructively received by him in the taxable year during which it is credited to his account set apart for him or otherwise made available so that he may draw upon it at any time or so that he could have drawn upon it during the taxable year. So in a sentence, it's yours even if you don't take possession of it, okay? So a lot of people like to pretend like, I didn't touch it, it's not mine. No, 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 that's constructive receipt. If it effectively could be yours with very little effort, then it's yours. Now. This uh, regulation continues. It says, however, income is not constructively received if the taxpayer's control of its receipt is subject to substantial limitations or restrictions. That means it's not yours if there are substantial limitations or restrictions. Well, what constitutes substantial? Some people like to think paying minor transaction fees to take it off a different wallet and place it on your own. That is not a substantial because you're going to have to pay those fees either now or later. You have to pay that. You knew you're going to have to pay that when you made it so you would receive those rewards. That is not a substantial limitation because it's a small cost. But what does it mean by substantial? Well, very nicely, the law or this regulation, actually gives us an example, okay? Here's what it says. Thus, if a corporation credits its employees with bonus stock, but the stock is not available to such employees until some future date, the mere crediting on the books of the corporation does not constitute receipt. That kind of sounds to me like staking rewards, doesn't it? When do you have unfettered access to your staking rewards. This is the key issue. So and we're going to dig in and break this down and, and we're, we're going to look at the problems. The problem that the IRS has is that in their revenue ruling, they give a very simplistic example. And it's a straw man example and very few coins actually operate that way. It's much more complex and their failure to engage that complexity is what makes their revenue ruling weak guidance. A more realistic staking example would acknowledge that first of all, 
that there's a delegation. You delegate your coins to a validator of some sort. Now, this is an interesting side note. The Josh Jarrett Tezos staking case, Jarrett actually owned the staking node. So it was not a delegation happening there. So that might be a wrinkle in that court case. Coming back to our issues about how staking actually works. Once you have delegation, then there is this concept and, and each protocol has different words for this. It's called an epoch where at some point in time, the protocol takes a snapshot of all the people that own that coin on staking, the validators, and it does that at the end of the epoch. And that is the basis for how the rewards are distributed. Now, epochs vary in time. ETH, it's my understanding, has a six-minute epoch. Every six minutes, an epoch ends, and you may receive rewards based on whether or not you're participating at epoch. Just the fact that you bought in the middle of epoch doesn't mean you're going to get anything at the end of that epoch. You have to actually stay delegated at the end of the epoch. If you then remove yourself from validation, then if another epoch passes and you're not delegated, well, you miss out, right? So this could be a very likely thing to happen on a six-minute ETH epoch. Well, Tezos has, to my understanding, a three-day epoch and Cardano, a five-day epoch. So, you know, different protocols have different behaviors. Now, for lack of a better term, a consensus period that occurs after the epoch. So that we're going to wait, this is the whole consensus mechanism, we're going to wait several epochs before the protocol will actually release rewards to the validators. So several periods, typically at a minimum, are going to have three epochs are going to have to pass before rewards can happen. So what does that mean? If you're on the ETH protocol, that means 18 minutes later, the rewards for having participated in an epoch are released to you. In the example of Cardano, 15 days later, the rewards are going to be released to you. Well, guess what? Prices can change a lot in that time period. Next aspect about staking is when are the rewards dis distributed or how are they distributed after the consensus period ends? And each protocol is going to be different in this matter. Are they distributed right to your wallet, a wallet that you have immediate access to? Or is it held in a smart contract or by the validator until you later undelegate your coins, at which time you get to receive them? All right, so there's two different ways protocols work, and I'm, I'm sure there's more than two, but you get the idea. It's not always straight up. To the IRS, if the rewards are immediately posted to a wallet that you have immediate access to do what you want to those reward coins, they would consider that actual receipt, okay? When they are held by a smart contract or by the validator or whatever mechanism, then the question is, when have they constructively been received by you? That's a big question. You can see that. Now, some protocols have a lockdown period. Now, I'm talking about the case where I don't get the re rewards until I undelegate my coins. There's a lockdown period in some protocols where I can't do anything with those coins. I don't get my reward tokens or my original delegated tokens until the lockdown period concludes. It's my understanding in the Tezos case that the lockdown period is 28 days. That's significant. Remember we talked about significant limitations? This would be one of them. 
sometimes when you undelegate, you get those reward tokens immediately. I've been on exchanges where I have a stake and I have to request an unstaking and it takes a period of time. I, I'm not really sure, but it wasn't right away. It didn't feel right away. You know, it felt like maybe a day or two had to pass before I actually got those tokens released into my general pool. And, and in fact, I really have no idea how many reward tokens I have until I did unstake. Now here's the problem with the lockdown is if I have to undelegate my tokens, to receive my rewards, and I can't do anything else with my rewards until I undelegate. Now, maybe they're serving as additional staking on the validator node. That may or may not be happening, but I can't get access to that. I can't treat that as income until I undelegate. And if in undelegating, it causes me to miss an epoch, then I miss out on a revenue opportunity. I would consider that a significant limitation. Or if in undelegating, I have to be locked down. And a lockdown delays my actual receipt. It also prevents me from benefiting from any other rewards at other epochs. So both of these, I consider significant limitations and restrictions. I mean, we always argue what significant means. I think they're significant. I think it'd be hard to argue that there wasn't a significant impact there. And the IRS revenue ruling didn't even address either of these issues. So when is constructive receipt? when the coins are directly applied to a wallet that you have free unfettered access to, then constructive receipt occurs immediately when they're posted. But if you have to undelegate it, when does it become yours? When you undelegate, well, what if there's a lockdown? They don't really come to my possession. I can't really enjoy the fruits of my income until they're actually placed in my wallet, which might be after the lockdown period. That would be when constructive receipt occurs. What if I never undelegate because it's significant limitation? If I never undelegate, then the rewards just continue to accumulate and it could accumulate for years before I receive it. Having said that, I do want to point out an issue with certain tokens. They have multiple protocols out there. I believe I was told that in the Uniswap version three, that those reward tokens are not available till you undelegate, but in version four, they are made available as they're posted. So in that situation, the version four would be constructive receipt would be happening on a recurring basis. Whereas on version three, constructive receipt wouldn't be happening until the ultimate undelegation happened, in my opinion. So you have to really think about the protocols you're using and whether or not you have significant restrictions as far as this constructive receipts going. I mean, it's conceivable, and a lot of people have treated it, that constructive receipt is never occurring, and they are actually delaying the receipt for possibly years, which has a significant tax benefit. If I don't have constructive receipt, I don't have to report any of that on my tax return. I don't have to report any income. So very wealthy people use that as a way to look small and not report much income. Keep your taxes down until you actually do experience income from it. In our next topic, let's talk about some hard practical issues that we have to face in trying to implement this IRS revenue ruling. The simple fact of the matter is whether it's the IRS or your whoever's calculating your gain, you're going to pull the transactions off the blockchain. The date stamps are the date stamps of when they were written on the blockchain. And that's the default position. People are not sitting around pondering the theoretical question of when constructive receipt occurred. They're just going to look at the blockchain and that's going to be accepted as the rule. Now, 
when it comes to how we calculate rewards, you know, it's going to be treated as fair market value in U.S. dollars on the timestamp at which it was written on the blockchain or that the exchange posted the transaction. Now, if you disagree with that timestamp because of how you interpret uh, your staking protocol, then you're going to have to make some very important uh, changes in ta- how you report that on the tax returns. This is the key practical issue. Now, let's dig into the next topic, which is basically the backstory drama of the Josh Jarrett Tezos staking court case. Now, for you that are not familiar, Josh Jarrett had paid taxes in 2019 on his Tezos staking rewards. He then filed a for a refund of $4,000 of those staking rewards. Now, he is working with the... Uh, Proof of Staking Alliance, which is, let's just say it's a group of people that have a a vested interest in getting proof of stake to be taxed as upon sale rather than upon receipt. There's a lot of money and legal expenses that are funding this this court case. Well, anyhow, uh, the IRS, seeing that this was a hot potato, issued a refund and uh, stopped their opposition to the case. The judge in the court case said, well, there's nothing further to do. You were looking for a refund of $4,000. You got that $4,000 and you know he adjourned the case. Well, they weren't satisfied with that because they were looking for clarity in how staking rewards should be taxed. Merely giving them the $4,000 did not imply any clarity. Well, they appealed it and at the last week of July, the court heard both sides' opinions on why this case should be heard. And it was quite interesting that the judge in that case asked some very specific questions. Uh, He asked whether or not this case was moot because the IRS had already agreed with Jarrett on the taxability of cryptocurrency tokens through staking. Jarrett's lawyer said, well, no, they haven't agreed. They just merely paid. They didn't actually put agreement in writing. And then the judge looking over to the IRS said, why not just clarify that your position is Jarrett's position? Well, the lawyers weren't going to agree to that either. So obviously highlighting the need for real clarity in this issue of when staking rewards are taxed. Well, then three days later, after this oral argument, the IRS issues this revenue ruling. Well, there's no possible doubt anymore about what the IRS's position is. It would have been nice if they had been able to say this in the oral arguments, because then the judge would have heard it. The Jarrett lawyers have submitted a motion to the judge to entertain and look at this revenue ruling as additional reason for hearing the appeal. And their claim is, hey, look, because of this position that the IRS has taken, they can, using a certain tax code, they can demand back the $4,000 that they paid to Josh Jarrett as an erroneous payment based on their new position. And they said, for that reason, Judge, we need clarity. We need this case to be heard, not just for 2019, but all other years that Josh has staking rewards. So very big drama going on there. You know, obviously that case is going to be heard. In my opinion, this is the largest court case regarding cryptocurrency that the IRS is facing, at least publicly. Now, one question I have is, in terms of trying to look at what is the real reason that this revenue ruling was issued. Was it issued as a response to the judge in the court case? I don't think so. 
three days is a very short time for the IRS to respond to something as monumental as a revenue uh, ruling. I think those two were not coordinated. I think they probably regret that they happened at near about the same time uh, because it made it difficult for the IRS in their court case. I have a different opinion as to why this revenue ruling came out, and it has to do with the proposed 1099-DA regulations. The 1099-DA is a new 1099 form mandated by law two years ago. The form has not been issued yet. Everybody's waiting on the instructions on how to complete the form. The DA stands for digital assets. So this is a 1099 specifically targeted to institutions that pay out people who have digital asset transactions. So it would be like crypto exchanges, banks, financial institutions that might have be dealing in digital assets. We haven't seen all the rules. Well, the Treasury Department's been sitting on these rules for months, pretty much all year. And they're going to have to go into effect for issuing those 1099s in January. So companies need to get the 1099-DA format and instructions so that they can do the programming and upfront work that's necessary to generate timely 1099s in January and, and ones that aren't, don't have erroneous calculations. Well, House of Representatives, some people, some Democrats from there have written to Secretary Yellen and the IRS commissioner. So has Libs Warren. Some other senators have written to her saying, hey, we got this tax gap. We need these uh, regulations. So I don't know why there's a delay. I think Part of the reason for the delay is that they needed to officially state a position for the taxation of staking rewards so that the 1099-DA would be able to collect that data. So I think that's kind of why that has come out at this time, in my personal opinion. Now to give some general thoughts about how crypto traders might look at reporting their staking rewards on their tax return. I mean, there really are two primary questions about the taxation of staking rewards. Is it taxed upon receipt or taxed when sold? If you're using the tax upon receipt approach, then when are they constructively received? And is that different from when the staking rewards are posted on your blockchain? If you're using the tax when sold approach, you know, in your opinion, constructive receipt is irrelevant because you're going to treat them as having a value of zero dollars upon receipt. However, you need to know that that is not how the blockchain is going to look. The simple accounting solution for preparing your crypto capital gains just is to simply accept how the staking rewards are reported on the blockchain or by the exchange transaction history. This is a tax upon receipt approach. Uh, it may not match reality in terms of constructive receipt, and if so, you need to make some adjustments. If you do have an adjustment, that needs to be reported on IRS Tax Form 8275, which you file with your 1040. When do you file a Form 8275? Well, this Form 8275 is a disclosure statement. It's a, it's a form by which you tell the IRS things that are not obvious. And the purpose of doing that is so that later, if you get audited, they can say, you didn't tell us about this. No, no, no. I did over a disclosure statement. It's a place to explain things that forms don't let you do. So if you choose to treat certain rewards as taxed when sold, or 
if the rewards are posted on the blockchain, but you have significant limitations in your restrictions, in your control of those rewards, such that you don't have constructive receipt, you would want to report these on Form 8275. Adequate disclosure of this action on Form 8275 helps you avoid the 20 to 40% underreporting penalty or a 75% fraud penalty if the auditor disagrees with you. So that by itself is a massive motivation. This is a subtle point you need to know because a lot of people are afraid of telling these things on your tax return. Well, Form 8275 is part of the electronic filing of your tax return if you have the appropriate software, but it is not read by the IRS return e-filing system. The e-filing system is looking at where's the income, how's it calculated, not on the words that are written on the 8275. Secondly, the IRS data mining computers do not look at the 8275 because it's free format data. It can phrase things in lots of different ways. It's hard to interpret in a data mining point of view. So the data mining computers, which are used to decide who is being audited, do not look at those. The only time an 8275 is read is when an auditor begins the audit. And I will mention this. Auditors have told me that they intentionally, they look to see if an 8275 is present on a tax return where they're going to do an audit. Because if there is, it deprives them of getting the 20 to 40% accuracy penalty, which means they're not going to be able to hit their quotas as easily. So they oftentimes put those returns at the bottom of the pile so that they're done last or possibly not even done at all. On Form 8275, on there, I would state if there's no constructive receipt during the tax year or if you choose to claim taxed when sold. I would also state the dollar value of the amount that you're excluding for tax on sale. If an auditor rejects your constructive receipt or tax when sold claim, then you have to challenge that position at the U.S. tax court. Uh, and that's okay. I mean, U.S. tax court, as one person said, that's the first time you speak to an adult during this whole process. And remember, the revenue ruling is only the IRS's position on how the law should be interpreted. It is not the law. A judge gets to decide what the IRS's formal position would be in interpreting of the law. Now, you want to make sure you use Form 8275. Do not use the sister form, 8275R. 8275R is for disclosing positions contrary to regulations, but you're taking a position contrary to a ruling, not a regulation. So if you use an 8275R, that will draw an immediate interest of an auditor. So don't use that form. You should also, before you engage in trying to treat your staking rewards as tax when sold, you need to consider your tolerance for risk in deciding which way to be taxed. The risk of an audit is not just financial, it's also emotional. An audit can drag on for two to four years, and it can be very draining and hard on a marriage. If you seek to defer recognition of income to a subsequent year, then you might look for staking protocols that don't post to a blockchain until you unstake. Those protocols should have a lockdown period which is longer than the epoch duration in order to claim a significant limitation on constructive receipt. 
I can see that there would be a demand for a new type of staking protocol that operates within these limitations. Wink, wink. So one question is, should you amend prior returns? Well, first of all, you are not legally obligated to amend a tax return. You're obliged to file it, but if you later find out there's something is incorrect on it, you do not have to amend it. However, if the IRS audits, we know that they're going to use the revenue ruling as their basis for how they do the audit. So if you are selected for an audit, it might be an issue. So you can correct it if you want. The IRS did not state in the revenue ruling whether or not it was retroactively applied. So if during an audit, the auditors claim that you should have used their staking methodology, we have a way to appeal that back and claim that you had reasonable cause for not previously reporting the income prior to the issuance of this revenue ruling. So those are some thoughts about the preparation and correction of tax returns. I hope this has been interesting to you. Please, if you will hit the like and subscribe and follow buttons, it means an awful lot to me. Thank you very much and have a great day.